Before we dig into the case, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. We have listeners in Sweden. It's me. It's me on my VPN. I'm sorry. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, I man. I, I thought we reached overseas. That's literally where I put my VPN. <laughs> oh, no. You want to say okay. it together this time? Yeah. After we say our name? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. I'll say my name. I'll say my name. Um, this is Savannah. Hey, this is Nicola. And we this are two blunt bras. There's no way that I'm going to capture everything that happened. There's, like, so so many random little bits and pieces about the story, so I apologize in advance if I don't hit something that you particularly remember listening to this. If there's something or anything related that y'all want to hear further about it, reach out to us, twobluntbroads at gmail.com. Oh, my God. Of course, always, I really, you know, if anybody's interested in us further going into um, Elizabeth Smart's kidnappers once I tell this story, happy to do it. This, it there's plenty of information. It just couldn't quite fit it into this. Uh, so it's a pretty wild story, and it's just about, like, an incomprehensibly incredible person. Yeah. She's just everything she's (laughs) yeah i'd say she's a personal role model for good 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 damn reason yeah i think that i'm excited to find out about her i wanted to bring up right off the bat for those that recognize the name or remember the case you already know this was hugely put on the news uh the media coverage of this in 2002 and following years was absolutely mad compared to anything else at the time so she, Elizabeth Smart was this, she was white, she had blonde hair, blue eyes, young girl. So many middle, upper class Americans related to this as if she was their daughter. Her family actually says this as well in interviews. Uh, they think that's why they got such a good response from it, is was Americans kind of adopted her as their daughter and related to it and wanted to find her. It's everybody's girl. Right, everybody's girl. Uh, the news was so full of this story for so long, and the coverage ended up aiding in her being recognized and being able to save herself. So I've thought about this a lot, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, how wild it is that this story is so covered by the media. And I want to mention that kidnappings happen a lot more often than we think they do. Uh, not, to- not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody's getting kidnapped well, I know. all the goddamn time. I, yeah, I, you probably know. Like, <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> it, then maybe some listeners. I don't know. You're right. You're you know, right. Kidnappings are happening all the time. People are naive about numbers. Yes, and these numbers too are are like all over the place. If you just Google currently like number of missing children in the United States, it is so all over the place it, it just depends on what you think missing is 
basically. Yep. Uh, it's, oh, my God. Uh, according to the National Center for Missing Children and Exploited Children, 200,000 children are kidnapped each year by family members specifically in the United States. Jesus. Um, so a lot of these are family slash like custody related issues that are resolved in a few hours, but that's still a huge number. So from what I've seen, quote unquote, kidnapping by strangers are fairly rare in the United States, averaging about 100 to 150 per year from several sources. I think we can all assume it's probably more than that. Yeah, that that's in, that's insane. That's insane. That is an insane underestimate. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know you're about to present me with statistics and I'm getting really aggressive. But, like, just knowing what we know from being laymen and dabbling in true crime news, like, we know it's more than that. Like, we know that it has to be because these cops, every single fucking time that a parent comes to the cop and says, My child is missing, they say, Literally, in this nonfiction yeah. book I'm reading right now, the cops look at this woman and say, well, kids just go missing. Or and, they, yeah, they run away. Or they run away. Uh, or know, they're just, all, if they're a teenager, they're a runaway. They're angry. Like, oh, God, it kills me. So acquaintance abductions, like Elizabeth Smart's kidnapping would be considered, make up of 27% of child abductions, according to the same source. I think a lot in my mind about bulletin boards. You know, like, have you seen those at Walmart or just like local places that have like missing posters all over? There's like dedicated missing poster billboard. I mean, bulletin boards. Uh, You know, and like those are like local things. Like I've walked up to one and like seen it's all like mostly of our state or Oh, the neighboring states. This is a wild. Tons of them on these bulletin boards, and then you think about the ones that don't even get posters on local bulletin boards in Walmart. There's tons. There's got to be like the numbers. There's no way that anybody can actually like name the numbers of missing and exploited children Mm -hmm. in the U.S. And I this must be some kind of crazy coincidence, but I found myself today sitting behind my computer and googling missing people in Alabama because I wanted to see the numbers and how that was reflected in the faces of these people and it's staggering. Yeah. And exactly. these people have been missing since ni- the 90s, the early 2000s, mm-hmm. you know, up until like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, so particularly when I think about this case, I automatically, like, just think about how insane the news coverage was. Again, for years, and I mean, it was just every channel. Elizabeth Smart, Elizabeth Smart. And, like, I mentioned later, like, I don't mean to diminish her story in any any way whatsoever I, at all. But, like, it's it's a good example of racism versus ratings in the news yeah uh how those two play together it just it's so relevant these days it's so relevant in what we're talking about with the lauren smithfields case Mm -hmm. and like think about gabby petito like when she went missing every time i see blonde white girl go missing on the news i think about all of these billboards like keep saying billboards bulletin boards 
that I see like in billboards you know, too, man. Well, I mostly just like small like there's a liquor store right near my house that they have like a whole part of their door that's dedicated to missing people in just the area of my neighborhood. Yeah. And some of them are kids, like minors. Uh, these are some numbers I found when I was looking into just like statistics of this stuff. Uh, so about 14% of U- U.S. children are black, but black kids account for more than a third of missing child cases. And an estimated 20% of those are Hispanic. I got this from a CNN article from 2019, and it had a graph of missing children by race. It was just a really insane visual to look at. Uh, I know this, like, Elizabeth Smart's case was from 2002, and, like, again, not trying to diminish her incredible survival story, but this is important information for us all to acknowledge. People of color, children of color, have not been and are not plastered in the news the same way as white kidnappings. I read an extremely in-depth study from the U.S. National Library of Medicine that concluded that black children are almost twice as likely to remain missing. That does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. And that is sad. It's disheartening. Absolutely disheartening. (laughs) It makes me fear for my black friends and, you know, their children and, you know, the people that I love that are minorities, that lives are important to me like to sit there and to say on a criminal level that these lives don't matter Mm -hmm. which is what you're fucking doing right when you refuse to investigate it is garbage the the refuse like refusal to investigate which comes from like lack of resources all of these different things and then there's just, like, the discrimination in the media, what the media wants to advertise, what the ratings will do. Uh, and there's this Baltimore Sun article from 2002 referring to this case and its coverage uh, and its racism relating to television ratings. It's super small newspaper article, like, small town kind of vibe to it, yeah. but it really said it well. Uh, anyway, uh, this is just all shocking to me to like see these statistics and numbers because i've always thought about this kind of stuff and uh when i was first looking at this case i was like i want to mention this and look into these actual things uh when you're talking about one of the most famous kidnappings in the last couple of decades you start to wonder why it was so slathered on the televisions by the media when it isn't really that uncommon of a thing Uh, we just have to talk about this kind of stuff and keep it in our minds like yeah And I think that's one of the silver linings of, like, the influx of... And people try to talk to me about this all the time, but why do women primarily consume and make this true crime media? And I think that it's because... I think just my honest opinion is women tend to endure more small-t traumas during their lives. Mm -hmm. Lowercase-t Lowercase t, small case t, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but you have big T trauma, which refers to one significant traumatizing event that affects you into the future. And then you have little t trauma, like neglect, like bullying, like small things that happen repeatedly over and over in the course of your lifetime that instill a 
many different complexes inside of your brain that change the way that you process your reality. And I Mm -hmm. think that women are exposed to these just as a societal norm. We're put through more emotional stress than boys. Therefore, we latch on to these stories because we see ourselves in them. Yeah, I was also noticing in the statistics I was reading about all of these, like, um, racial differences and th- these numbers that there there was also a lot of studies done on like sex and of course yeah. you know females are most more targeted than males although I was surprised to see like it's not that big of a difference it's it's not and I think that the media's choice to portray white females being the victim of kidnapping has been a very pointed and deliberate thing mm-hmm. to make you think it doesn't happen to men. Mm-hmm. Like with the Sex and Chains case with the the Mormon missionary that was chained to his bed by... This is actually a Mormon story. Don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I do. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Lorena Bobbitt, I think her name was, uh, that chained him to the bed and uh, raped him repeatedly and people just would refuse to take up his side because they didn't think a man could be raped Mm -hmm. and i don't know it it just goes back to i mean the silver lining yeah the silver lining of women in this influx and interest in true crime is that we now have a platform to give exposure to these minority cases and these missing people's cases. And of course, we're going to go through the building blocks first of the cases that kind of formed us and made us into the people that we are, like Ariel Castro was for me, mm-hmm. and like this case is for you, yeah. like the definitive ones. But hopefully we're giving a platform for more. I, I could go on about like how much this was on the news. It was it, kind of like Casey Anthony. Yeah, (laughs) every time we turned the TV on, it was like that back back then, and and it ended up getting her pretty much rescued. I mean the the amount of effort that people put in the search parties, it it was that 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 saved her life, and it's disappointing to like walk around in my local stores and see so many others that don't get any even local news coverage you know yeah i was shocked at the number of men on the list of missing people in the state and the lack of um detail versus the cases with women like the cases with women it would always be and this is a tangent we don't have to keep this on by any means but the cases with women would always be like super detailed like last seen here wearing this leaving with this person mm-hmm. and the men's would be like last seen mowing his lawn sometime around Wednesday might have gone off with Billy Bob no one knows like he's just gone he's just gone right because men get this right to disappear and women don't <laughs> yeah Expected Sorry. to be places. You're expected to be places and doing things. But, man, it's like, oh, maybe he wanted to go start a new life somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that, it, it could go into so many different things. We could go too. on yeah. so <laughs> many tangents right now. So many different directions. Uh, but all from mentioning that, that I felt was important and always comes to my mind with these wild, widely covered uh, missing blonde girls on the news. I'm going to continue to dive into the story and how I came to it. So, firstly, like, this was 
really huge in my memory. Uh, I mentioned this was a situation where a lot of people put themselves in her family's shoes, and my family absolutely did that. I really, I heard so much about this one, and it had been in my mind for so long because my mom was obsessed with how much I looked like her, oh, and God. how much she looked like me, or you know, whatever. Uh, about to pull up a photo I got her to send me uh, to show you of me during this time. Wait, I gotta see it over here. Oh my god, you look like Elizabeth Smart. Yeah. Holy shit, I don't <laughs> even need to see a reference picture to... Yeah, I'm oh just showing her photos of me god. right now. At the time that Elizabeth Wait, that's Smart not Elizabeth was abducted. Smart? No, that's me and my sister. And she has Holy a shit, younger sister... Dude with a double name just like me who's four years younger look at this i have chills right now yeah like that if i was your mother i would have shit my pants well my mom pretty much did oh my (laughs) god she was missing and i think that's why like she put the news on like extra around me and i was Mm -hmm. eight or nine yeah you must have been yeah happening so it was, it definitely, when I say new fear unlocked, I mean, that, that happened in this moment because she, she came from a family like mine. There, there's so many little bits and pieces I'll get to in this story that like, I weirdly relate to. So I have been excited to cover this one. It's, she bought me her book when it came out. Uh huh. Um, my mom did and has just been kind of, you know, she's a little obsessive about me looking like Elizabeth Smart and just, just because of, I think, the shock factor when she saw her on the TV. Yeah. And she related to this family. And, I'll, yeah, I mean, like, I'll definitely say she's not wrong. Like, I did look like her. Uh, we'll say these days, not so much. No. <laughs> yeah. I think we've gone different, different you routes. You guys went different genetic um, pathways. But as children, but... really, like, it's, my mom would always say, twins 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 that's so funny oh my god i I was talking to uh her about this last night and she still goes on about it she's going on and on and there's this like one famous photo that they use of her in the orange vest Mm -hmm. on all the missing posters yeah and that particularly scared me because that's where i saw the resemblance myself i don't know she looked like me came from a family similar to mine that's just some background as to why I wanted to talk about this one. I've, I've read both of her books, watched many of her interviews. There are, like, countless documentaries about her. There are, I think, four actual movies that were made with reenactments and everything. But, I mean, who knows on YouTube and everything like that. There's tons of information out there. And I found a lot of things that that don't line up to her story. So I try to stick to the things that are her recounting things, uh, which include her autobiography called My Story. And she also put out, there's a a two-part documentary yeah, I'm going to post the link to it. I, I watched it for free. It's it's free to watch. It's called Elizabeth Smart, My Story. It's basically the movie version of her book. Anyway, put that on our socials. But to begin this story, Elizabeth Smart was born into a devout Church of the Latter-day Saints family. So she was Mormon. She was the <sighs> second of six children and of a very well-off real estate developer. She's described growing up as kind, smart, shy, well-behaved. 
her greatest passion was playing the harp, which she still does to this day. She started playing when she was five years old and played for hours and hours every day. She performed at local weddings, funerals. Okay, okay, hold on. Wait, she started playing the harp when she was five yes, years old? she did. Mm-hmm. Break. Mm-hmm. White privilege. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how you know, like... <laughs> I mean, they had a harp in the first place. It, yeah. Sorry, I'm hitting dabs uh, over here. Especially but when you see her house, man. I, you'll understand why there was a harp in yeah, it. Like, that house is insane. It. It's nuts. Uh, she performed at all types of local events and regular participated, regularly participated in large concerts of professionals with orchestras. So... She was kidnapped from her family home in Salt Lake City, Utah at age 14 on June 5th, 2002. Several months before this, Elizabeth and her mother came across a clean-shaven man who went by the name Emmanuel, who's panhandling. Not really panhandling, he was just asking for strange asking strangers for work in the downtown area of Salt Lake City. His mother gave him $5 despite he was not directly asking for money and after a conversation she offered him a job working on the roof of their family home which she came and did in november of the previous year before she was kidnapped a lot was happening in the family leading up to her kidnapping in june her mother lois lois's father elizabeth's grandfather obviously had just passed away and the funeral took place two days before her kidnapping yeah. Lewis prepared her children for this trying death. It was a really big deal. She took them to see their grandfather every day for three months prior to his death. At his funeral, again, two days before her kidnapping, Elizabeth played Silent Night on the harp, which was one of his favorite songs. He was a big, big Christmas person. Big Christmas fan yeah. over here. <laughs> we got a Christmas. big Christmas fan over yeah. here. R.I.P. Grandpa Smart. <laughs> Her mother was one of nine children of his, and Elizabeth was one of 51 grandchildren. Holy shit! And that this paints a good picture of how big the family was, and that... That's some Mormon shit right yeah, there. Yeah, some Mormon shit, and it comes into play with the search party and, you know, all of that stuff. I'm sure the media attention, too. Like, 51 grandchildren, nine children. Like, okay, so I have... My aunt and uncle have nine That's children. Nine, yeah, eight aunt, aunt and uncles or whatever. That's eight aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, my aunt and uncle have nine children, and I've got 25 cousins on one side oh my god which is huge. Like, that's a huge ass family. And mm-hmm. now that they're all replicating, like, it's getting in, like, the area, <laughs> the 50s area. Like, now that they're Ooh. all, like, adopting and having kids. Yeah. And wow. It's. Crazy. It's chaotic being from a big family, but you also have to consider like how well connected you have to be. Like you said, her father's in real estate, right? Yeah. So like he's in real estate, that gives you immediately some great connections. And mm-hmm. then like just in sheer numbers, you have it to seems know people. Like they all lived in Salt Lake City too. Like they all lived near near ish. Yeah. Probably all went to the same church. Didn't make it that far. It's looking into it. Yeah. But I imagine they, they likely did. Uh, I came from a really small family. I know of, like, two cousins. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's how my it is on my dad's side. Small. Like, close-knit and 
on my mom's side though where it's it's huge and it's it's overwhelming but at least i know if i ever go missing i've got like three things going for me right I'm not Mormon, though, so yeah. fuck. Fuck. Hey, you don't have that support group. <laughs> I might as well go ahead and convert. So on the evening of June 5th, when Elizabeth was abducted, Lois, her mother, was very tired. And when making the family dinner, she burned the potatoes. It was smoking a bit, so she opened the kitchen window to let the air out. Uh, like I said earlier, I plan to post a photo with this series uh on Instagram of her house, but it's understandable why Lois wasn't really sketched out by leaving a window open. It's huge, super nice house, kind of secluded. Like, it looks probably like felt a really safe there. Yeah. She didn't think twice about leaving the window open, and it was open for the night. And that same night, Elizabeth was reading the book Ella Enchanted out loud to her nine-year-old oh sister. Oh my god, I know, that I know, was I my fucking favorite that book. book. I know, I literally had that in my notes. I, I, I loved, I that, loved book. that book. I loved that book. I was obsessed I. with the medieval times when I was a kid. Me too. So that night, Elizabeth read the book Ella Enchanted out loud to her nine-year-old sister, Mary Catherine, who shared a room and bed with her until they fell asleep. She woke up to a voice. Which at first she thought had to be a dream, so she tried to keep sleeping for a little bit, just a moment, and then the second time she heard the voice, she jolted awake and realized a man was above her whispering, I have a knife to your throat, come with me or I'll kill your family. When she heard him say this, she thought he probably already had killed some of her family members. Meanwhile, Mary Catherine had also woken up, but laid in the bed pretending to be asleep. Elizabeth recounts that her immediate fear with her within her racing thoughts was that if she didn't comply, he would hurt her sister or take her instead. I'm just bringing up again that I feel so weirdly connected to the details of this story. I have a younger sister with a double name and the same exact age gap and also loved Ella Enchanted when I was a kid. Just being around the same age and... My sister and I were way further apart in age, but, Mm -hmm. like, understanding the kinship that you have when you, like, get a book or a thing like that that, like, is exciting to both of you, and then, like, immediate scratch cut to, I have a knife at your throat. Yeah, she described her own life and her own upbringing as perfect and fairy tale and she loved fairy tales and she gets into talking about that a lot when all of it was ruined for her pretty much but she lived in this kind of like bubble which i also relate to so she woke up like officially woke up and realized that it was real that this man was standing over her uh with the knife to her throat and her sister's asleep i mean awake but pretending to be asleep yes so she's the only witness to all of this and she's nine years old yes when this is happening uh so she was her little sister is my age um when this happened when this happened Mm -hmm. and she's like kind of like saves the day oh yeah absolutely like from what i recall of the story like i don't have any weird feelings towards your sister i remember as it develops you start to kind of be like girl 
And then, like, by the end of it, you're like, girl. Right. <laughs> like, two different girls. Yeah, she, she laid there silently for quite some time after Elizabeth was taken, uh, which I'll get there in a second. But her captor made her get up and grab shoes as she realized this was really happening. She prayed in her thoughts for her dad to wake up downstairs man was speaking to her throughout the whole abduction process, telling her that she he was going to take her hostage for ransom. Trying to maybe kind of comfort her in a way that like, oh, this is just like a money thing. Whatever. Her captor, Brian David Mitchell, had cut the screen of the open kitchen window and entered the house through it. He led her out of the house through the back door once she had her shoes. Elizabeth recounts that Mitchell led her out of the house up a steep hill nearing the woods. They quickly on this journey saw headlights on a nearby road and he forced her to stop and hide behind a bush. And he said out loud, if this work is true, God, let this car pass. As the car passed, she saw it happened to be a police car. Holy shit. In this moment, though, she saw first time saw and was puzzled by the religious talk from Mitchell. Being a devout Christian herself, she thought, why on earth is he talking about God right now? After this car passed, she said, she said to him, if you're going to kill me, please do it here and now. She described in one of the documentaries I watched that she told him this because she wanted her parents to find her body and be able to know what happened to her. It'd be near her house and everything. In response to this, he said, I'm not going to rape and murder you yet. She said this was the first time she saw a very bone-chilling smile that she saw many times after this. It was like, oh, yeah. And she even, that when yet. I saw this part of the documentary that I got this from, she went, oh, like when she said it. Uh, so during all of this process of being led up the mountain, she was extremely confused. She didn't know why he wouldn't want ransom money. She knew her family would somehow come up with whatever he wanted in order to save her. She spoke to him on the journey up the mountain, asking why he was doing what he was doing. Didn't know. Didn't he know how much time he would spend in jail for this? She tried promising him that her family wouldn't press charges if he just returned her. He kept responding in the same way that he would never get caught. And she talked a lot about how this dude never shut the fuck up. Like, went on these biblical rants and... God, that would be the most miserable thing on the fucking planet. A lot about how he was just like this... I know he's probably gonna top it with some more miserable shit, but... Mm. Fuck. While she was confused at this time, she was also making realizations. After a brief time of being with him, hiking up this mountain as he was dragging her up there... She recognized this long-haired, bearded, unkempt man to be Emmanuel, who had worked on the roof of her home that her and her mother met downtown the year before. Mm -hmm. So Mary Catherine is laying there in this meantime, absolutely scared shitless. She just watched her sister be abducted from the same bed as her. Like, I really don't know how this guy didn't think it wouldn't wake up the other kid. I, I don't know if he didn't care i don't think he cared um 
I think that this guy was on a different psychological plane than you and I. I think that he definitely thought he had some serious delusion going on. If just that one little bit that you told me about the cop car passing and him saying that biblical little shit. I'm slightly surprised he didn't go after both of them. Like her later. Yeah. Uh, So after what was said to be a couple hours, she finally got the courage to leave the bed because she was so scared and went down and told her parents Elizabeth's been taken. They didn't understand or believe it, you know, at all at first, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they went around searching the house, asking her brothers, like, Elizabeth's in here, right? Like, she's gotta yeah. be. As soon as the reality hit, they called the police and every extended family member they had, which was a lot, Within minutes of the police being called, everything got hectic in the house. The family members showed up and I was gonna say, immediately wasn't that, people started searching for her. Wasn't that crime scene a fucking mess? Yeah, that's like, the biggest oh issue here God. was the crime scene was absolutely Why destroyed by the time that? the detectives like, got there. Uh, the first main detective said it was so immensely contaminated they would not be able to get anything from it. He blamed it on the night shift first initial responding officers of being course. generally inexperienced, inexperienced, quote unquote. Always and young. they blame it on them being inexperienced. Yeah. It's, a, it's an absolute mess. Uh, the the search party grew right from the start uh, with her having such a large family, so many extended family members, and it obviously exploded all over the news immediately. I mean, literally like the first day. At times, in the first few days, they had parties of over a thousand volunteers, including a hundred plus Mormon missionaries. Thinking about her mom, Lois, as well, going through all of this, her brother stated she didn't even have time to mourn her father. And he quoted Lois to say, why did he have to pick my home? Meanwhile, back hiking up this mountain, and you gotta remember, Lois doesn't Elizabeth has realized at this point who he is. They have no idea. They have no idea. They have no idea. Yeah, they just know she's missing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, hiking back up the mountain, Elizabeth has realized who her abductor is and fully, like, full on realized that she was being kidnapped and she dreaded to find out why when all of her other reasons had run dry. He admitted to her on this journey from her home to the camp that he had made, that he had been planning all of this. Been to her house before, mapping routes and figuring out the right timing of it all. They finally reached the camp in the early hours of the morning when she first met Wanda Barzee, Mitchell's legal wife. She said <laughs> Wanda looked like a horrifying witch by this tent when they first arrived and greeted her with this hug that had this body language that, like, if a hug could convey something, Elizabeth, like, says this and several different things if a hug could convey something it conveyed if she ever did anything against their words she'd be sorry jesus is she as an adult still you can see her like remembering this hug of welcome from barzy so wanda barzy immediately tried to bathe her but elizabeth refused insisting she showered the night before Wanda allowed her to put on a strange white robe similar to the one she was wearing herself and removed and allowed Elizabeth to remove her own bright red pajamas out from underneath it. 
She told her if she didn't take her underwear off that Emmanuel would come rip them off himself. Elizabeth didn't see Mitchell for a brief period of time as Wanda prepared her for what was to come in her own little way. In the light of the next day without any sleep, Mitchell came into the tent and told Elizabeth they were now husband and wife and it could never be undone. Some part of the whole kidnapping sequence was part of this marriage ritual as well as changing into the robe and then the next day technically is like this day that she didn't sleep and she saw the daylight yeah is what wanda barzi was telling her was her wedding day okay okay so he came to her and he said uh we're husband and wife now there's nothing you can do to change it and as a self-described lover of fairy tales and happy endings she actually this is like the first time she really screamed out she had been threatened this whole time with a knife to her throat mm-hmm. of you make a sound you make a sound i will kill you and anybody comes near you i will kill them too anybody comes to help you your family anything and then when she was in the house of course it was like threats on her family so yeah this was the first time she like really screamed out when he said we're husband and wife now there's nothing you can do about it uh he said if she ever screamed like that again he would kill her and all of her family. It scared her into not doing it. (laughs) Shortly after he told her it was time to consummate the marriage, which she explains in stories she tells of the situation later, she couldn't believe was happening. She begged him not to do anything sexual to her and said she had not yet started her period, which he then called out to his wife, Wanda Barzi, and said, hey, is it okay that she hasn't started her period yet if I still do this? What the fuck? And they, he had the name Emmanuel. And Barzi, Wanda Barzi also had a name. I didn't catch it. And honestly, like, just missed it. And, and who gives a fuck? She's yeah, a she human rat fucking name, like, too. So, like, he called out her name's fucking name Wanda, like, and she right. deserves it. Wanda Eileen barzy she's out of jail by the way so he called out to barzy asked if it was okay that elizabeth was had not yet started her period to consummate a marriage and barzy said yeah it's fine oh yeah that, in, in okay. her words yeah it's fine so we have to take note during the story that despite what comes out later wanda barzy was an incredibly active part of all of the abuse and horrible things that took place the first rape devastated her Uh, left her wishing she was dead she really recounts it in her documentaries and in her book very detailed i just didn't want to like copy all that down and frankly like spit it back out uh re-traumatize people yeah Yeah. y'all can go look at it if you if you really want to trigger yourself that badly do it it's a bad enough story and it's in her accounts of it and document documentaries and books are are horrific and detailed she emphasizes that she didn't understand what was happening. I will say, like, the one thing I remember offhand from her details of this was she thought that sex had to happen when people were facing each other. So she laid on her back and curled up in a ball and, like, held herself. And she she mm. said, oh, was I so wrong? Poor baby. Oh, Absolutely my God. Terrible. Poor baby. Like, all I can think about is, like, that poor fucking kid yeah like she's a kid she really honestly like not to beat a dead horse but 
this is a child we're talking about. Like, not that it's any less traumatizing if it happens to a woman or a man or an adult. Right, she had just fallen asleep earlier the night before, reading Ella Enchanted to her little sister, played the harp at her grandfather's funeral two nights before. Like, it's just... She didn't know this world existed. She didn't yeah, know this part of for this to be your first encounter existed. with sex is disgusting and inhumane. And I hope this guy rots in prison for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was this first experience. She says like particularly like devastated her, but she continued to be very against it the entire time. Okay, she really began to fear them killing her after the first rape because she said she felt like if they could rape her, they could certainly kill her as well. He made her watch porn, which he would do and then have sex with his wife, Wanda Barzi, and then he would still rape her after that. In her own words, always wanting more, nothing was ever enough. It always got worse. The first rape was part of the wedding ceremony where she was also forced to take a new name. She got to pick herself. She chose the name Esther from the Bible, and she was called that by her abductors from that point on. However, I don't mention it. That's kind of like in the Ariel Castro case where he makes the girls choose a different name around Jackie, around the daughter that was born, so that when she starts to talk and goes out later, they won't identify her. Like, that is such a manipulative, shitty person thing to do. Like, we're gonna change your name mm-hmm. as part of this religious ceremony. Right. No, bitch. And you're changing was, her name so she doesn't she identify herself. She was a very herself. religious young girl, too. So, he was using all of this religious stuff to very much manipulate her. And Absolutely. I, I, it's, she's, I could go on and on about her, but at be- being 14 years old and she was in this situation for nine plus months. I mean, she held on and held yeah. on to like her truth and her reality. And it's amazing. Uh, anyway, later after she slept part of the morning, she woke up in this nightmare of a situation. She tried to pretend that she was still asleep when she first woke up. Cause she thought that would make him leave the tent. But when she realized that wouldn't do any good, uh, she got up and he wrapped a metal cable around her ankles. It was like a loose shackle. And this cable around her ankles was tethered to a higher up string of metal wiring around the campsite. When this was done, she realized the two had no plans to kill or ransom her, but this was a well-planned out space that was meant to keep her like a long-term possession. She spent six weeks only able to move a few feet from the center of this campsite, which was only a few miles away from her home. You have to remember, they walked there. Yeah. And the search party's going on. So she was raped daily, sometimes, many times, multiple times a day. In her story, she said she was still extremely protective of her body, begging him not to do it anymore, to do anything except that. Uh, of course, that didn't help. Uh, she was wearing these like, bright red pajamas. Like, it was like a pajama set and running shoes. And uh, this isn't in here. At some point, I read that he told her she looked too much like a burning flame from God to be wearing that uh, for other people to see. 
<sighs> and so he burned these pajamas and these running shoes that she had been adop- abducted in. And she managed to grab from the fire a single safety pin that had closed the collar of her pajama shirt. She used it to attach a small round piece of the sole of her running shoes to a piece of paper she was able to hold on to. She said when talking about this, I didn't want to let go of my family or of my life. Only a few weeks later, maybe a couple weeks later, Mitchell found her keepsakes and forced her to get rid of them. Back into the family in the beginning of this, her father was committed to a hospital three days after into her disappearance due to a breakdown. Oh, the stories, it was so sad. That's really tough. None of her family were getting any sleep. They were all devastated beyond belief. They were I can't even imagine, like... Her dad, though, every every scene of everything I've watched where they ask him about this, he cries. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, like, you pour your life into these children and you want nothing but good for them, like... Don't know what it's like to be a father, but... You don't know He's what it's like one. to be a mother either. I don't. <laughs> you know what? I don't. Um, the family's like intensity coming at the police with this was another reason she's okay now. Yeah. So it came to a point when the police were like, you need to give this up. And uh, they didn't. Mm hmm. On the third day after her abduction, Elizabeth heard her name being yelled out from a familiar voice that she thought maybe was her uncle. And she was so close that she could hear them yelling her name. Mitchell insisted to her that he would kill her and anyone that came near the camp. This fear that he instilled in her kept her trapped. At one point towards the beginning of the search for her, she could hear helicopters and they actually got so close to the camp that the tent was being blown downwards and she was forced to duck and hide. Oh my God. Their shit got blown all over the place because the helicopters were that close to the camp. And they didn't take notice of this fucking camp and think to investigate it? I... They, it was so People in the woods. idiots. I don't know. Like, I really just yeah. don't even know what the answer to that is. Like, I thought the same thing, obviously. Her, her biggest fear was becoming old news, which, girl, you did not. You did not. Don't worry about that. She did not want to become forgotten about. And eventually the helicopters did stop coming to where she was. And you have to think about and remember with this, they were... They were literally camping, so they had to go get things they needed from time to time. Most frequently, Jess Mitchell would go to town, Uh but Wanda Barzi was always very, like, adamant about, like, you're leaving me alone to just watch this kid all the time. Like, it's, it's, she was, it caused a lot of strife. So he started just bringing them with him. And in August of 2002, it's like three months later after her kidnapping, almost, uh, the three of them went to a library in Salt Lake City where a homicide detective spotted Elizabeth Smart and suspected it was her in this veil-like outfit with a robe, all white, mm-hmm. as usual. He approached her and asked her to remove it while Barzi was with Elizabeth and Mitchell was in the bathroom. 
Mitchell quickly Uh came out of the bathroom and stepped in saying he was her father and for religious reasons only her husband could ever see her face. Elizabeth said that Mitchell told the detective this information in such a cool and collected way that it managed to not raise further suspicion and the detective just left. Oh, fuck you. She beat herself up about this for a long time, saying she felt like she watched her hope walk out the door. Poor she was child. terrified something would have happened to her family, but she talks about how she would have never known from that instance because she, she didn't act on it in that moment. This was such a fresh situation still, and like the intensity of the abuse, I'm sure, set in and had been so much by this third month. Like, I can't imagine. This is, there's so much victim blaming with the Elizabeth Smart case. Oh, yeah. It, surrounding her, I just personally can't make myself understand the victim blaming when, like, you I consider hope you the story here. When I say fuck you, I'm speaking to the homicide detective. I'm oh, not no, speaking yeah. to Elizabeth Smart because in no way, shape, or form should a little girl be blamed for being kidnapped. Like, Mm-mm. and the very fact that someone would... It's... It reminds me of that time in the Jeffrey Dahmer case where he had the kid, like, captive and keeping him as a sex slave in his apartment, and he got out naked and drugged, and the women found him and called the police, and the police came to the scene, and he was like, oh, he's my lover, we just had an argument. Mm -hmm. And they, like, gave him back to him. Right. And he took him upstairs and killed him. Like, these fucking idiots. Yeah, they always get so close to it. it. seems like a common theme and she was 14 years old she was sheltered she had her religion virginity sense of self taken from her sense of safety all gone yeah after the library incident uh mitchell added a piece to her veil that covered the majority of her eyes and the rest of her face when he did this he told her the world isn't ready for the light that is in your eyes (laughs) yeah in the midst of this, he'd started forcing her to drink alcohol, despite, of course, her saying, trying to say no due to abstinence for religious reasons. It said all over the place that she was forced to take drugs as well. I couldn't find much about her having to take drugs other than her being forced to smoke cigarettes. What? Uh, yeah. That's truly bizarre to me. Unusual. Yeah. That's like, like that's someone do. taking your moral complexity and using it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Like that's true torture. Like to you make force her to drink to the point of passing out in her own vomit and then rape her after that. That's true torture. That is the most evil, vile, inconsiderate bullshit that I have ever heard. Like this guy is a true rat bag. Mm-hmm. I hate him. He's the king rat. And she thought of like this particular situation of like passing out in her own vomit and then being raped. She would think to herself, can it get much worse? And then she would respond in her like documentaries and in her book and at most interviews she said it always got worse. Mitchell continued to delve into mar- more hardcore porn and tried to emulate it with her. This is the period of time where they're still in Salt Lake City. It leads me to bring up one of the most insane things I learned when doing the research for this. You're not ready. 
But I'm not. (laughs) So there are these like famous photos of Elizabeth Smart when she's actually in the veil. Yeah, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm, mm -mm. Google break. Hold on, I got the picture saved on my phone already to show you. I'm definitely posting them on our Instagram and our other platforms. But I guess I I never really thought about wait why do these pictures exist of her in the veil? Like why why is that a thing? At a punk show? Uh, yes, that's... At that's, a fucking so punk he, he show? he took her to a punk house party. He took her to a punk house. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I lived in this house in college. Jane? Holy shit. It's called China Blue. The house is called China Blue? Mm-hmm. Our house had a name, too. Yes. As most oh, punk houses do. I knew that I'm, you would relate to this. Like I've I got tears in my eyes right now. This is giving me the fucking creeps. Because if yeah. these people came to a show, it, like we would have been like, yeah, come on in. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's welcome here. That's pretty much what happened Everyone's in this situation. Everyone's welcome here. Nobody questioned <sighs> it. They went to a punk show. Like, punk house party. Why? Um, oh, I'm freaking out right she's now. She's 14 in these photos. She's 14. And then Wanda Those Barzi are like professional pictures from like a Nikon. Like someone was shooting that show and they thought, oh, interesting. Girls in veils. And they took mm-hmm. a picture of it. I I'm going to like I, throw up right now. This was the fact of this case that I was like, I can't wait to bring this up. I had seen these photos like zoomed in on, oh, that's Elizabeth that's Smart. That's Elizabeth Smart, and then, yeah. But when you look at the whole photo, wait, she set up. Punk house? She's at a fucking party? punk house? She's at-, She's at a party? Like, oh, God, you know what goes on yeah. at those things, right? Like, bad music. Right. Really bad music. <laughs> she, she recounts every time she talks about this party that she was just as scared of everybody at this party as she oh, was baby, of her abductors. no, sweetheart. Which, oh, which I, I wish she didn't... I wish... Oh, I hope it was the kind of punk party where she didn't have to I be afraid know. of everyone. I've, I've because got th- I've got things I found online from the people that were there. Oh, I gotta hear more about this party. So, yeah, they Elizabeth and, and Barzi were dressed completely in their white robes and veils. And you see the whole photo. There's the guy in the mohawk and all kinds of other people in the background drinking and partying. There's a girl with purple hair. There's a blue house. Like, Mm -hmm. you can just tell there's a party going on and it's a party that you have been to. I swear to God. Uh, It's a party you've probably been to. Yep. And, (sighs) yeah, she just recounts it as, like, so so fucking scary and she was forced to be intoxicated and silent. She wasn't allowed to talk to anybody. I'm not gonna lie, you can only see her eyes in that picture and she looks fucked up. But they specifically talk about how, like, this was a a party of um, performance artists. There's a lot of, you know, like, funky art people. Like, yes. Like, that's where it got confusing. People just didn't fucking care. And, like, this was the ultimate environment for him to take this situation into. These two veiled women, like... There's a case I'm going to cover in the future that is specifically about a punk house. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's a case I'm going to cover in the future that's specifically about a punk house kind of gone wrong. And it strikes me as, like, this is an environment where you can masquerade yourself as anything. I was trying to figure out for a solid minute what this, uh, what this party was. Like, where she was, how she, you know, like... 
what China Blue was, because I saw that name, I was like, that's so unique and strange. It's got to be something. And I found one article. I don't even know if you'd really call it an article. If you Google China Blue Utah, it comes up, and it's the only thing about it. And the person talks about it's... um, Kind of like this, you had to be there kind of thing. It's not talked about on the internet. It, it was the punk house of Utah. Wow. It was where all these artists came to converge and get together, do all this stuff. Uh, she, This person that wrote the article described it as nicer than a trap house, but scarier than a teenager's bedroom. Uh, so it's just like a really big culmination of performance artists, different artists of all different medium in this crowd. So none of them question the strange group of three looking like a cult, nor the fact that she was noticeably young, even in the veil, still 14 years old. But <sighs> I searched deeper into the internet and found a Reddit post oh, about I'm this party. I'm so <laughs> glad you did. Holy shit, I cannot wait for this. That Elizabeth Smart was forced to attend with her abductors and somebody was posting about it wanting to do kind of like a documentary thing. It was This was probably like eight years ago. Okay, uh, so just kind of probing post. the web sleuths. Mm-hmm. It's like, was anyone here? Do you know anyone that was yeah, so here? Yeah, that's exactly what the post was and many people commented on it and I read quite a bit uh, about it. Um, we will link to it in the show notes just in case yeah. you want to dig through it yourself. But. Absolutely. It's quite a thread. The The top comment was uh, this one person replying saying they were there with the guy in the mohawk in the photos. That was their buddy. Uh, they discussed the photo and how it went famous and how they lost their chance at the $250,000 reward. What a piece of shit, and dude. That was, it was left at that. And, and honestly, I, lost I looked my through chance. the whole fucking thread, and I didn't see anything about, we could have helped her. We could have saved her. Wow, we, we were right there. Nothing Nothing? Like Nothing. We missed out on the reward. So I don't think it was the kind of punk house where there's some good people in it. Uh, so, yeah, there was, there was one other person in this Reddit thread that I... That I read. I didn't read the whole thing. It was a lot. Uh, that I found noteworthy that they said their best friend lived there uh, in the China Blue House and they were at all of the parties and they were at this party and just nobody thought to ask about this bizarre man with two silent women. That's how they were described, two silent women. And Mitchell ended up getting so intoxicated and obnoxious at this party, he was drinking absinthe and beer Mm, he good was, combo. He was asked to leave. He supposedly went there to get drunk and <laughs> he preach. He got kicked out of a fucking yes. punk house he got, party. He ah, got kicked ah, out of the ah. punk house party, and then he was too drunk to walk back up to his kidnap camp. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. So, Barzi and Elizabeth Smart left him, and he stayed with somebody from what i understand i tried to like clarify this part of the story there was something i also read that said they all stayed with somebody in their apartment who told them who told elizabeth these stories i i don't know i don't know but mostly from what i read the two women i mean young girl and a woman yeah went back up to the camp and mitchell figured it out until the next day because he was drunk as shit and he went there to, like, preach. 
you know. Yeah. I'm sure that's what he told his wife. Such a close follower of him and his kidnapping victim. But he really just went there to get drunk and fight people. Yeah. So. Jesus Christ. I'm not exactly sure on the timeline part of the China Blue Party. I, I know that it happened semi-early on, like in the first couple of months. Uh, so before. this was still, what, 2002? Oh, this is all in 2002. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure on the timeline where this China Blue Party took place. Just... I know that it happened before they relocated to California, which was a couple of months into the kidnapping, and they stayed there for uh, on July 24th, almost two months after Elizabeth's disappearance. Police were called to Elizabeth's aunt's house after her daughter, her 15-year-old cousin, Elizabeth's 15-year-old cousin, woke to someone cutting through the bedroom window and knocking things over. Luckily, the intruders were scared away by the sounds that they made by dropping a bunch of shit that was on the window. Holy um, shit. But this was majorly not given enough attention by the police at the time. It was later confirmed this was Brian Mitchell trying Holy to take shit. Elizabeth's cousin as another bride. No way. It was confirmed. When it was unconfirmed back then, in between the family, this break-in sort of gave Elizabeth's family hope like to them it meant she's got to be alive he's still out there like yeah trying to you know and yeah trying it, to it take oddly family. gave them hope um and i think that's i would important. like to think and yeah that later would they're the both charged me. with the attempted kidnapping Good. of this cousin because it's fucking proved so Mid-September, Mitchell decided to tell Barzi and Elizabeth Smart that he was going to move them to San Diego. And they spent the next few months there. This was particularly when Elizabeth recounts actually thinking she was going to starve to death, which was a concern of hers quite often. Uh, But this was, when they went to California, it was bad. They had, like, no resources. They didn't know the area. He left her and Wanda Barcy for days and days and days on end, feeding them garbage, rationing oh rainwater. Uh, she said in her stories that they would be so weak that they could literally barely and only move from the tent just to use the bathroom. And wow. it was a struggle to even for them to even do that. I mean, they were on the edge of death with starvation. Wow. And particularly, she talks about starvation. Like, they they kind of had a more, you know, it was, that was more of a concern than the water. Um, yeah. So I find interesting. That's really that's scary. That's what usually runs out first. I didn't take a lot of notes on this time in California. I, other than that they were being starved, they, it was particularly fucking horrendous and bad. Uh, but she did, Elizabeth wrote about a, a new attempted kidnapping that, he did during this time. Mitchell tried to take another young Mormon girl of almost the exact same age, explaining it'd be easier if they were already Mormon because they would quote-unquote already understand. It's nuts. She particularly, like, wrote about and harped on this attempted kidnapping 
of this girl in California. And it's interesting to me that later he's charged, they're both charged for the attempted kidnapping of her cousin, but they weren't able to ever find this girl in California. Find this girl in California. So October of 2002, so they, they moved to California in September, and in October of 2002, Mary Catherine Smart is flipping through, this is a little bit weird, flipping through the Guinness Book of World Records when she comes across a page of muscular women. Something mm-hmm. about this triggered the memory of the man who took her sister. <laughs> okay. Don't know what it was, but multiple things I read were like she was looking at the Guinness Book of World Records and saw a page of muscular women, and it made her remember the man's voice, and she realized it was Emmanuel who had worked on their roof. Holy shit. In this random moment that is such in October. a testament to the way the memory works. Right. So, like... Uh, and trauma as well um yeah I, I she probably couldn't recall like she had yeah, a trauma huh? response like, she was thinking geez. about the way that a muscular woman would talk and it reminded her of this little rat turd's voice <laughs> but yes anyways so mary Catherine remembers that this man they kidnapped her sister was emmanuel and she recognized him specifically from the voice she remembered that it was the same voice uh, she told her parents who it was, and it described that it matched exactly the sound of her sister's abductor against what the police believed and were telling the family they pushed forward, and the family had a sketch released of Brian David Mitchell, a.k.a. Emmanuel, on America's Most Wanted in February. This led to... Brian David Mitchell's stepson calling in and revealing the identity of him. Okay. So from San Diego, go little Mitchell, rock star. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how old he is, but like, but from San Diego, Mitchell started wanting to take Elizabeth Smart further away, like New York City or Boston or Chicago. He was naming all these just gigantic cities they could get lost in. And she managed to convince him, she convinced him that they had to move back to Salt Lake City because God wanted them there. And she told him there are a lot of girls camps. This is brilliant. She told him there are a lot of girls camps up in the mountains that would make it really easy for him to acquire more wives. Good. And it worked. They went back. And they didn't just go back. They hitchhiked. Again, so many people involved in this adorable national case that just didn't recognize what was happening at the time. And I don't know how the fuck, you know, like all these people that picked him up on the side of the road. It's on the TV. Whatever. Oh, it's hard. It's they were so picked hard. up in small increments and met a variety of people, including a nudist, uh, during almost a week of travel. It took them almost a week I to get back to some Utah. Titties. Even though California is not far from there. Their last ride got them to Sandy, Utah, where they were resupplying for the Foothills camp at the local Walmart. Several police cars started to show up. She had been recognized. Parentheses, woohoo. Mitchell was claiming, oh, well, I'm, I'm a traveling preacher. This is my daughter. Uh, but soon police separated the two of them. And asked her for her name over and over again. And she gave answers that she was told to give by Mitchell all this time. I mean, 
she was still yeah. in this mindset of like it's still not going to be okay it's like, still not real none of this if you think about the mm-hmm. fact that her entire reality has been taken and warped right for nine months and you have an incredibly malleable brain at 15 years old like she's protecting herself and her family yeah protecting herself the best and the only way that she knows how which is to lie her fucking ass off mm-hmm. but finally the police handcuffed her because they handcuffed him mm-hmm. and took her to the Sandy police department. She was dressed in the same like veil and everything. She also had a wig and sunglasses on, which once they had her remove those at the station, she admitted she was Elizabeth smart. Mm-hmm. Identified herself as Elizabeth yeah. smart from here. Her case did not come to trial until eight years after her rescue. Eight years. What was the holdup? Mitchell's craziness. Mitchell being a crazy piece of yeah. rat turd bullshit ass motherfucking ass bullshit ass shit turd. Yeah, that's where I go to say a lot of this came from Mitchell's defense claiming he was not competent to stand trial. Oh, come He had on. outbursts and would sing hymns for years. During any type of trial or hearing, he would just start screaming weird biblical bullshit not real biblical stuff like you know his own things and then singing hymns just to make himself look crazy you know and elizabeth stuck by the fact that he used religion to manipulate and torture others and that he was not incompetent to stand trial yeah she stuck by that very much the whole time and he was diagnosed by forensic psychologists as having antisocial and narcissistic personality disorder in 2009. Yes, that's how long these competency hearings were going on. Two weeks before another competency hearing for Mitchell was deemed to take place, Wanda Barzi took a plea deal, 15 years in exchange for testifying <laughs> against her husband. She fully admitted to her role in kidnapping and abuse, saying in court addressing Elizabeth, quote, I'm so sorry for all the pain and suffering oh, I caused you and uh. your family. It is my hope that one day you will find it in your heart and forgive me. Shut the fuck mm-hmm. up, Wanda. I want you and me in a room, door locked, five minutes. Oh, my God. That yeah. pisses me off. Like, to have the audacity to sit there and say, I'm so sorry. Well, she goes on to say how she was you know manipulated to all this and yeah you know but uh, she's an adult and she's like an old adult elizabeth is a child she's like an old adult and even (laughs) if you're like look at the way that fucking michelle knight treated gina when she got to the house like she took care of her she played with her hair she told her you know i know who you are i know that you're missing and elizabeth would have mentioned it she's yeah a strong, beautiful, good person. If there was any good in Wanda Barzi, she she would have mentioned yeah. that happened. Uh, Barzi went on in her hearing to tell about M- Mitchell's manipulative ways. We can continue in another episode fully. I mean, what we think her role was here and his background, her background, it's a whole other low-dumb pack. But ultimately, after her testimony... 
after Elizabeth Mitchell was deemed completely competent to stand trial in March 2010, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Elizabeth confronted Mitchell just before he received his life sentence with the statement, I know that you know what you did is wrong. You took away nine months of my life that can never be returned, but in this life or the next, you will be held responsible for those actions, and I hope you're ready for when that time comes. She's just Fucking such a well-composed person. Like, I-, I would say woman, but she was a child sometimes in this thing. She's just held the fuck together. <laughs> it's amazing. In 2018, despite Elizabeth's voiced opposition, Barzi was released early from prison with the agreement that she would register as a sex offender and participate in mental health treatment. Elizabeth has created the Elizabeth Smart Foundation since her trauma, which has become a huge program and resource nationally. The Elizabeth Smart Foundation aims to end the victimization and exploitation of sexual assault through prevention, recovery, and advocacy. I'll also be linking this in our social medias. Yes, and in show notes. It'll be down there. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what show notes are, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whenever you see the little description of what the show is, just click the ellipsis next to it, and it'll link you to all of our social media and all of our resources. We always Which cite our sources. You definitely got to check out the photos from this. <laughs> you're going to want to see the pictures from it's this um, one. Yeah, those podcast photos really shook me up. We both went to college. We know we have to cite our sources or mm-hmm. we'll go to jail. Her film, I Am Elizabeth Smart, was nominated for an Emmy. She's also known worldwide as a child safety activist and has commentated for ABC News. She is married and has children currently. She's popped off in interviews with people like Nancy Grace, calling them out on their insensitivity and exploitation of her experience. She was on some show called The Masked Dancer. I know there's the mass singer. I, I saw that she was on what the, the fuck mass is a dancer. Mask dancer. It, I have you saw seen the, the mass singer? singer. It's that just show the same thing out. where they like reveal and it's like Elizabeth Smart. Was, oh God! I mean, it was pretty weird. I, I don't know. I watched a clip from it and I was like, uh, she's like, what? And then everybody in the audience was like, whoa! <laughs> you know? Oh my um, God! That would like I'd been watching just, ABC one night just vibing out with my fucking Michelinas Alfredo, like fresh out of the microwave watching the Masked Dancer. Elizabeth Smart. Smart. Holy shit. Elizabeth Smart, hands down, one of the most generally inspiring real world stories out there. I would agree with you. She's done a lot of good for so many people with her experience, her story, her foundation. She's really done a ton. Like, her foundation is, is a huge thing. I just, I've got her, like, pulled up on my Google right now. And we know this story by her name, not her abductors. That's pretty fucking cool. Like, you have to admit, like, even in the last case I did, like, as much attention as we bring and try to focus on, like, labeling it after the names of these resilient, amazing women that make it through these terrible situations and not naming it after the shitbags and rat turds Mm -hmm. that fucking consume their lives and destroy them and don't destroy them. Like, by no means is Elizabeth Smart's life destroyed. Like, she is a beautiful, brilliant mother now. Like... 
how fucking cool is that that you can just kind of rise from the ashes and what an inspiring amazing story because god knows like i've dealt with much less in my life and acted like a much bigger pussy (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) she released this quote on her instagram when barzi was released from prison early so elizabeth voiced her opposition to this decision made by the parole board with an instagram post saying may we all remain vigilant in watching over our families friends and community from anyone who would seek to hurt or take advantage i truly believe life is meant to be happy and beautiful and no matter what happens that will remain my goal for me and my family that's so sweet so whatever you do don't forget to follow us on instagram at two blunt broads podcast yes ma'am we got twitter at two blunt broads yeah we got a gmail account where you can keep sending us your stories because the ones that we've gotten so far have been hilarious and dope and i can't wait to read them but we just need a couple more uh, our gmail is two blunt broads at gmail.com and we have a patreon yeah excited to get that fully up and rolling i'll check that out got some really cool stuff coming on it starts out three dollars a month yes and you get stickers pens and then it goes up and we're gonna have a whole special letters from death row inmates segment we love you love you big we appreciate you big Mm -hmm. keep listening subscribe like review yes all of that means so much of the world it does if you're listening in sweden keep listening yeah if you're not in sweden same thing right Yeah. yeah yeah keep listening if you're in sweden or if you're not in sweden we love you swedes we love you big swedes um yeah bye until next week bye bye